We're going to read here, um, starting in verse 1. Now, it happened in Iconium. And by the way, there's, um, there's seven cities mentioned here, three provinces. Two of the cities are the same city, but different. Well, they're the same name, but different areas. Um, so in just a minute here, we'll have a map pulled up here, and I'll, that should help you to be able to uh, grasp really where things are. I guess I'll start kind of pulling it out right now. Um, so as you see, the, uh, last week in uh, Acts chapter 13, uh, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we, w- went, we saw Paul and Barnabas as they traveled through Cyprus and all the way to Perga. Uh, and that's where we kind of left off in Acts chapter 13. Actually, uh, Perga all the way up to Antioch. So you see two Antiochs. There's Antioch here in Syria and Antioch in Pisidia. So when we talk about Antioch and Pisidia, or Antioch most of the time today, we're referring to the, the northwestern uh, city over there. Um, but our, our studies today start in Antioch, or start in Iconium, travel down to Derby, then back up, and then all the way back to Antioch. So um, the, the Paul's journey on land is um, Paul and Barnabas' journey on land is close to 400 miles as you travel, you travel down to Derby and then back up to Antioch and then down to the seaport and probably another 350, 400 miles on sea. So in one chapter, we're covering 400 miles of travel on land by Paul. And it kind of helps to set, get, this, get this straight here. I had to sit there and look at the map and uh, for a while just kind of meditate on, on really where Paul was going, where he, had, uh, where he had to run from, and we'll kind of see that here. Uh, as we open the passage here, but we're starting in Iconium. So we say Iconium, we're right there. Uh, again, this is Paul's first missionary journey. Starting in verse 1, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to, it, uh, to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Jew- Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of uh, Lycaonia to the surrounding region, and they preached the gospel there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and see how it spread to these cities and even how um, the, the effects of persecution pushed the gospel further uh, into regions that had never received the gospel. I pray that you would help us to be strengthened by this today. Help us to be able to ascertain these essential elements that we see um, uh, th- as part of ministry, part of spreading the gospel, part of seeing growth, and be able to apply these. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, several years ago, I had the opportunity with my church, some of the men in church, some of the teens in my church in South Carolina, to hike a 50-mile uh, section of the Appalachian Trail. So the Appalachian Trail is about 2,000 miles. It's the, the longest um, trail in the world as far as uh, continuous with trail with signs. and every, I, I, There's some way of explaining that, but it's the lo- there's one category. It's the longest trail in the world that you can hike. Uh, so it starts in Georgia and ends up in Maine. Uh, and there's people that are called through hikers, and they, of course, they're the ones that start at the beginning and hike to the end. And it takes six, seven months if you're at a normal pace. Some people have done it in uh, like 50 days, um, but you really have to be trucking for that. But that's about 2,000 miles. But uh, when I traveled with my church, um, it was, fi- it was, it was uh, 50 miles. So we did this in five days. Not a terrible thing. But we were warned to be very, very careful with weight. Obviously, you have to pack all your food you're carrying, all your, your bedding, and then clothes and all that. Uh, and I remember kind of 
agonizing laying out all the stuff that had to be in the pack and putting it in and then lifting the pack and then agonizing some more and thinking, okay, so what can I take out? And so you kind of, well, this, I don't need this. And I'd look at my Leatherman and think, well, I can get a knife that has one blade instead of pliers and I had to leave that behind. And just a lot of things you have to, to, to leave behind and drop weight. And I was, as we first started out in the first several miles, I'll never forget seeing one of the adults on a trip, one of the adults from our church, um, pull off his backpack, reach down, and, and find these big, plump um, uh, potatoes and just throwing them as far as he could in the woods. We don't need that weight, even though they were uh, perfectly good potatoes. And I also, a few miles later, saw teens abandoning perfectly good, nutritious cans of Mountain Dew, uh, deciding that they didn't need that weight either, uh, and uh, to all in a drastic way measures to, to make it on this 50-mile hike. Now, um, as a newer trend in, in hiking and backpa backpacking is ultra-light backpacking, and I don't know, um, there we go. Uh, so kind of the guy on the right there is more the traditional look you see, and that's how my backpack looked. Uh, the guy on the left is kind of the more the ultra-light backpacking um, that is kind of popular now. It's really just shaving off basically everything you can. I mean, the traditional sleeping bag is, is discarded, and they take like a quilt. Um, the, the hiking pole becomes the tent pole of the, of the tent, and they cut their toothbrushes in half, and all these uh, um, somewhat draconian measures to, to look more like the guy on the left and the guy on the right, uh, to, to be the ultralight backpacking. And while weight can be trimmed and, and le things left behind, there is still essential gear, no matter which guy you are there, there's essential gear that you have to have. Uh, obviously, you need nutrition in the form of some type of food, you need water, some type of shelter, something to stay warm when it gets cold and crossing mountain peaks. And without these essentials, survival is not possible. In our passage we're going to look at this morning, uh, we're going to see um, the essentials, the qualifications, the, the things that are necessary for us as we, as we minister to other people, as we live in our communities, as we serve people around us. Um, and uh, Paul and Barnabas, they, they, as they traveled these uh, roughly 400 miles, um, it, this Luke did not include what they packed or what they didn't pack or, or how light their backpacks were um, or how many tents Paul brought along, if he made some tents in the way or whatever he did. Um, but it does give us a very crucial outlook, perspective on ministry. Now, as we go through this passage, you won't notice, it won't be like, okay, there's this point number, there's not an explicit list of requirements, uh, but we see the, we'll see principles through here of what effective ministry looks like. And we see this through, through the, um, the, the, um, the lifestyle of, of Paul and Barnabas and the way that they were able to set an example before other people, uh, before they were able, to, why they were able to be um, really the, example of a highly faithful servants of God that modeled what it means to obediently follow God, serve God, and um, operate under the Great Commission and see people saved. So as we look at this passage, it's a long passage, it's 28 verses, and we won't uh, go super deep into a lot of it um, just out of the concern for time, but we're going to look at it and split it in two, two aspects here. We're going to look at um, the first uh, 20 verses uh, how the gospel is presented, and then we're going to look at the next um, eight or nine verses that talk about how growth happened in the life of these new believers. So if you just want, it's very easy to think through, think through this um, 
um, gospel and uh, growth. Uh, so point number one is gospel and how it spread here. We're going to look at several different principles here of how the, the, these elements of how Paul and Barnabas were used by God and, and empowered by God. And that's really the, the thrust behind all this <clears throat> is not how amazing Paul and Barnabas were, were but how amazing God was to empower them, to fill them with, with the Holy Spirit, to gift them, and to give them these um, abilities and opportunities to, to rely, upon, rely upon God and uh, share the gospel. Uh, so we're going to look at several things here um, as we, uh, that show as far as um, effective ways of spreading the gospel. First of all, Paul and Barnabas were spirit-enabled. They were spirit-enabled. In other words, followers of Christ or believers in Christ um, who are seeking to live and give the gospel must exercise spirit, the spiritual gifts that God gives them. So we know this from uh, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, that, that every believer has, has at least a spiritual gift and, and sometimes several. And these are, um, can be used maybe in a, a, you can kind of think of this as a palette, like an like a artist's artist palette that, that blends these different colors. So God uses different um, gifts that he gives us, that he gives us at our, at our salvation, time of salvation to be an integral part of the local church. And we work together and we have, all of us in this, in this body of believers here have, have different gifting and, we, and, it, and it's not, one is not more important than the other. It's something, it's something that God um, want, desires us to use as a whole. And in fact, he uses that analogy of the body. There's, there's not one part that's more, um, that's more important than the other. The hand or the foot, they, they, work, in, they work together in unison if, if they're working, functioning properly. And in, in this passage here, we see that Paul and Barnabas uh, use the spiritual gifts, and, and Paul later tells us that we are to steward them, we all are to use them, because we can neglect the gifts that, that, are, that are in them. Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gifts that God has given you. He tells him to be faithful there, use those spiritual gifts. When we talk about spiritual gifts, that's not necessarily natural human abilities or talents, but it's a bestowment by the grace of God on believers that provide a channel through which the Holy Spirit's power flows in ministry. As one, one person said it that way, uh, it, these, uh, these gifts, these um, spiritual gifts are a bestowment by the grace of God on believers that provide a channel through which the Holy Spirit's power flows in ministry. I think it's a great way to, to, to picture that is uh, spiritual gifts become evident when we use them. And that's the whole point that God gives us spiritual gifts. Um, several of the spiritual gifts come out here as we look at this passage specifically. Uh, one would be a, a gift of prophecy. When we speak of prophecy, it's the spirit-given ability to proclaim the word of God with power. Um, so in the, this first verse, it says, Now in Iconium they entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Paul and Barnabas spoke in a very powerful way, and that was, a, that was gifting by the Holy Spirit. We, we, we can look at them and say, wow, this is, they were amazing uh, apostles and disciples and messengers of the gospel, and they were, but that was because God enabled them. God gifted them in this way. They were gifted the prophecy, uh, to, to prophesy, and we see this also in verse 21. Now, when they had preached the gospel to that city later on in this passage, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And also in verse 25, when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. So again, all throughout this passage, we see 
Paul and Barnabas are, are speaking the word and they are empowered by God to proclaim it in a very powerful and effective way. And that is gifting. A couple months ago when I preached, I spoke on uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, and that speaks about how God um, has provided, God, well, b- before that God gifts people in the church, uh, and specifically, he gifts the church with, uh, with pastors that are, that are pastors and teachers that are gifted in teaching the Word of God. And that's part of the ministry of the church leadership is to be able to effectively teach the Word. And Paul and Barnabas exercised these gifts. They used these. They steward this. Uh, also, teaching here. And we see this um, teaching in a more specific way uh, as, as a gift is strengthening the souls of other people or or in here that, that in um, we see that they had strengthened the souls of the disciples, uh, and specifically that the use of that is using the word of God. Um, Acts two forty two talks about how the how the apostles devoted themselves to the, uh, the they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So in other words, the word of God is central to the aspect of teaching and to using the spiritual gift of teaching. That's a gift that, that God uh, gives some believers the ability to, to effectively teach the Word and be something that's very, very understandable. So you see here in verse 22 of this chapter, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in what? In the faith, and that saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul and Barnabas, um, later on in this passage, are very specific. They, they teach God's word, they relate to them the truths of the Old Testament and uh, teach the truths of, of, of God uh, to help these believers grow. Uh, also, exhortation is another gift um, that, that some believers have, the gift of exhortation. Um, and that's this being able to spiritually encourage other people um, uh, to pursue a righteous course of action. So maybe you have the gift of exhortation. There's a whole list of these of different gifts um, and Paul talks more about these in, uh, in 1 Corinthians and Romans chapter 12. Um, but the, these are just four of these gifts. And um, th- this uh, aspect of exhortation, um, Paul definitely had this. He tells Timothy um, in the second book of Timothy, he says to them, You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That was from our, our scripture reading this morning that we read in the middle of the service here. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas were, at, were obviously exhorting other people, teaching them, and uh, implying that they needed to take the truths and put them into action. And I think it's a very important thing that, that, that people that have this gifting use this and to be able to exhort, to kindly encourage people to follow in the faith, to obey, to put the principles into action. And one last thing we're going to look at here as far as these spiritual gifts is the gift of leadership. Uh, the gift of, of leadership. Um, so Paul and Barnabas didn't just leave the new converts to fend for themselves. Um, leadership gifts um, bring structure to the, these newly formed congregation and they appointed leaders. And we'll see that a little bit later in the passage here. So Paul and Barnabas were using these different spiritual gifts to both instruct and to both and to put systems into place, leadership, and um, to be able to help carry on, continue the ministry that they started. He didn't just want to leave these churches to fend for themselves after he left. He wanted leaders to stay. Um, verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders... 
for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed to them the Lord in whom they believed. Uh, so we have these four uh, spiritual gifts and, um, that, that, are, that, are, that are implied here that Paul and Barnabas used. Um, and spiritual gifts and, and, and using the spiritual gifts that God gives us is an important part of our, our Christian living, an important part of our um, opportunity to encourage one another, to be unified, to work together, uh, and to appreciate what, the way that God has gifted people around us. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, some of the um, ultra marathons. And so if you think that marath a marathon is not long enough, and some people uh, apparently come to that conclusion that 26 miles is not quite long enough to run, you can do an ultra marathon. When they, these ultra marathons are 50 miles, 100 miles, or plus. And there's this one specific ultra marathon in, that takes place in California, um, the, the Badwater Ultra Marathon. You have to have an invitation. You can't just show up at that. You have to be invited to run with them. And it starts out in Death Valley at several hundred feet below sea level and ends up uh, climbing up part of Mount Whitney um, 135 miles later. Uh, one of the most grueling um, uh, ultra marathons out there. In fact, they call it the, hard, the toughest race in the world. Um, and I, w I was listening to someone describe, talk about the differences of of marathons and ultra marathons and the people that run in them. And I found this, they, they made this comment. In a marathon, the marathon runners view the, the race more as a competition. And, and they, they made this comment. They said, everyone in the race is an, an impediment to your best times. In other words, if you're running in a marathon, there's like thousands of people around you, and they are an impediment to you running faster. Um, but this, the same person was talking about, they said, but in, in, um, in an ultra marathon, um, you are thankful for everyone around you. And perhaps it's because you are running on a 135-mile stretch and you rarely see anybody. But it said it's, it's so hard, you're just grateful that others are in this with you. And it helps other people are sharing the struggle. And you need them. And I was thinking through that. I was thinking, boy, that's such a, a good picture of the way God gifts us. And if we choose to look at people around us, especially believers, as impediments to us rising higher or to, as we start, if, if we look on people as annoying us because they're in our way, we're missing the point, as, uh, just as the people in ultramarathon see how difficult it is and appreciate the people around, uh, uh, around them. That's the same way that we can view each other and, and view the body of Christ as a whole. We're not competing against one another. We're relying on, on one another because the journey is so difficult. A uh, second uh, opportunity to, that, that Paul and Barnabas demonstrate here to live and give the gospel the second element in ministry uh, is boldness, uh, being bold. And we see this um, all throughout this passage, but specifically um, in um, several verses here. Um, we'll just read again now at verse 1. Now in Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and, Gen Jews, Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Um, the ne very next word in verse 3, what does it say there? What does it say? Speaking boldly. Yeah, okay, speaking boldly. And then in, in um, verse 3, it may, you, your verses may say, therefore, or so. Um, so it, right, before, right before that, uh, it said that they were speaking boldly in the Lord, their reaction, okay, things got really tough. The, the unbelieving Jews stirred up problems with the Gentiles and poisoned their mind. 
therefore, or so, and it's kind of an odd way of transitioning this, but Luke kind of puts us in here to really point out that Paul and Barnabas didn't give up. They didn't leave. It said, so they remained for a long time. And as Ruth said, speaking boldly for the Lord. When the times got tough there in Iconium, many, many, many miles away from their home church in Antioch, um, they didn't give up. They didn't leave. So they remained. Therefore, they stuck to it. They bore witness, speaking boldly for the word. So if, if you remember from uh, chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were driven out of Antioch, or Pisidian Antioch, so that's the, at the top of the screen there, the Antioch and Pisidia. Um, and they traveled down some 50, 60, 70 miles into, into Iconia um, uh, to, to leave behind these, uh, the mobs that were, were threatening them. And just as the custom was, Paul and Barnabas would oftentimes start in the, in the synagogues um, uh, so that, that that way that they would, uh, if they had started with preaching to the Gentile people, the Jewish people wouldn't receive them. So they, they start off speaking to the, gen, to, to the Jews in, the, in their synagogues, and it said a great multitude believed. So they bore much fruit because of this power, because of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, because of their boldness that God gave them. And then there were Jews who rejected the, the gospel. It says they poisoned the public about them. So that's, it would be so discouraging to be doing good, to be seeing people trusting Christ, to be seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to have a group of people poison the minds of people around you and say, you don't want to listen to these people. And, and all of a sudden, these people that were following and listening to you and maybe so close to receiving the gospel... Uh, turned against them. But despite that mounting oppression, they stuck it out. They stayed. Therefore, um, they stayed there a long time. Again, uh, Luke is not specific here in, in uh, how long these times were. Um, in this, this time between Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, there's not a way to really guess of how long it was, but it was long enough that people... Um, that new believers uh, were trained and matured so that they were able to lead the church, be pastors. Uh, so we'd have to say, likely it was months. We don't know exactly how long it was. Luke isn't specific here. But um, these men do mature. These believers mature into a body that is able to be sustaining when Paul leaves them behind. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas exercised boldness uh, in sharing the gospel. And just like in Antioch, the city becomes divided, it becomes polarized, becomes this smoldering cauldron that, that is against the apostles. And again, and Luke here mentions it, it calls Paul and Barnabas apostles. So we know that Paul was an apostle. Uh, Barnabas wasn't an apostle in the, in the strict term of the word where he saw the resurrected Christ and was um, commissioned by the Lord to be an apostle. But Luke is, is using this word apostles as messengers. So Paul and Barnabas here are to continue their, 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 their boldness of, of being messengers of the gospel to the people around them. Um, and then at the end here, uh, they, they do end up uh, leaving Iconium. They, they were bold, but they weren't foolish. And at, at, at a certain time here, 
Um, they knew the writing was on the wall. The mobs were, were organizing to stone them. And again, anytime you see that mobs are about to stone Paul, um, you know this had to be instigated by some of the Jewish leaders of the city because that was their form of execution. Um, so the mobs were, were rallying, around the, rallying uh, together to, uh, to not just uh, push Paul away but to kill him if they were able to get his hands on them. Um, but they left um, Iconium, went down to Lystra, um, maybe a, a 25 miles or so away. Um, and so Lydia, uh, Lystra is one of the, uh, one of the couple cities mentioned here that's in this, this um, province of Lycaonia. Um, and uh, the area that, that Paul was able to um, uh, continue ministering to. Um, if you, you might recall that Lystra was an important, um, well, it was a, a very unusual stop uh, for, for Paul, one of the most unusual on this mission trip. Um, some fascinating events happened here. So in this time here, uh, Paul stops at Lystra, and um, preaches the gospel there. Or actually, at the beginning here we see in verse 8, and in Lystra a certain man, and Luke explains this three times, without strength in his feet, um, was sitting, he was a cripple from his mother's womb, and he had never walked. So if you're, if you're wondering if this guy couldn't walk, Luke says it in three ways, this guy ain't going anywhere. He's sitting there on the ground. He's, he's been this way since he was, since he was born. And it said, this man heard Paul speaking. And in other words, this man was attentively listening to Paul. And Paul notices this man. He looks over at him and says, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So this man was listening. And, and the Holy Spirit um, demonstrated to Paul or showed Paul, this man has faith and he has faith to be healed. And so Paul says with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. So that's the first thing unusual that happened here. Paul doesn't um, use a whole lot of miracles, uh, or not recorded at least, but Luke records this miracle, this healing. Uh, and then the reaction here is very interesting. Now when the people saw that Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So likely Paul and Barnabas couldn't understand this. It wasn't in a language that they understood. This was not in the... Uh, Greek language. Uh, it was in the Lycaonian language, so it would be very confusing. And um, there is um, writings that, that, that indicate that, that before this time period, there was a legend that um, both Zeus and Hermes came to, to Iconium, I'm sorry, to Lystra, and uh, in, in this legend, they, these two gods came, nobody recognized them except this really poor couple and they were the only couple that recognized them for who they were and, and invited them into their house. And because of that, they were, they were, their house was, became, was made into a temple. And so this was, this was a legend that before Paul and Barnabas came here, so these people were primed to look for what they thought were gods um, coming down to man. And so when they saw Paul perform this miracle uh, and, and heal this man, uh, they were, okay, these are these gods that we've heard so long about. And, and I find it interesting here who they identify. It says, and Barnabas they call Zeus and Paul Hermes. And so maybe it's just a little bit of a caricature of who, of what Paul and Barnabas, maybe their attributes were. Um, Zeus, of course, is a, uh, and identifying Barnabas with Zeus, maybe they were saying that, that, that Barnabas had more of an imposing figure, more of a leader-like figure. 
And Hermes, of course, it, Hermes was a god that was the, the god of, the mes of messengers, being, in other words, being able to speak. And so they ascertained that because Paul uh, was the one doing most of the, the verbalizing, the speaking, the preaching, that, that he must have been Hermes. So we kind of get to see a little bit of picture. Maybe that's a little, little bit of how Paul and Barnabas were, um, a little bit of a caricature of them. But they uh, immediately identify them. But, and they're saying this in a language that Paul and Barnabas are not understanding, and they're, and they're causing all this ruckus. Uh, then it says, The chief priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and intending the sacrifice with the multitudes. And then it, then, then it becomes clear to them, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore, tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you. Now just uh, contrast this, a few chapters back in Acts, uh, to Herod. What, do you remember what Luke said about Herod when he began speaking? And what, how, how did the people look to him? They began crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. And they, and they began worshiping Herod, and Herod accepted that praise. And God's, God uh, caused a disease to come upon him, and he died very soon after that. So contrast that the way, with, with Paul and Barnabas's uh, reaction here. They're, they were... They were uh, astounded and saying, don't do this. We are just men just like you. you uh, we're just like you. We're, we're the same. Uh, we're, you're humans. Don't, don't call us gods. We're the same nature as you. And then Paul begins to spread the gospel. And he says, um, he pre and preach to you that they, you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. So Paul here is speaking, uh, he knows primarily to a Gentile audience. And instead of uh, teaching like he would have in the, t in the synagogues where he might talk about the, uh, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, he begins speaking of God as the God of, of all creation. And you see the same approach Paul takes in Athens. Uh, he takes the same approach in some of his other times that he speaks with, with uh, Gentile people. Um, and uh, we see here uh, that, that he um, shares with them the God of all creation. Uh, and so in this point, we see that at spreading the gospel, it, an effective way of spreading the gospel is serving somebody. And right here at the beginning, when he first gets to, um, uh, first gets to Lystra, um, he uh, heals somebody. He, he sees that there was a physical need. He knows because God prompted him that this man had been, had been lame from birth, had suffered this all his life, had no prospects in life likely, uh, and, and he healed that man. And with... And, Christ in so many different times did, did similar miracles and reached out to people who were hurting, reached out to people who had physical needs. Because when you meet somebody's physical need and you intentionally share the gospel with them, share why you are doing it, you have such an open door with people. Um, Paul, of course, here, he and Barnabas were wanting to show that they were serving. They wanted to show that they were very humble. They did not want to appear like they were gods. They were, were just men like you, but we want to share our faith, the love of God that, that, and the God that created all, all this world. Uh, and, I, and I think through this, I think of how effective it is to, to be able to bridge a gap between um, somebody that we might know, a neighbor. And it, I, was, I was challenged to do this recently uh, and one of my kids and I went and uh, helped a neighbor down the, uh, helped one of our neighbors uh, with with a a project they had, um, and just told them we just want to do this because we're, we're uh, we love people around us, we want to get to know them, but we also love God and want to share the gospel. I had a, and it opened up a gospel conversation, and just and the, the, there's a 
a joy in doing that and serving in the needs of other people. You can do that with your kids. You can, but it opens doors to people. When you meet somebody's physical need and have the intention of sharing the gospel, you have such an open door. And Paul takes this open door here. He, he uh, serves those around him, uh, sees the physical needs, reaches out, uh, and is able to share, share faith because of the way he uh, met their need. All right, the last thing we're going to see, see here is in uh, sharing the gospel is persevering. Persevering. We see this in verse 19 through 21. Um, uh, then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Now, in other words, came. he's in Lystra. So these Jews from, uh, from uh, Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium come all the way down to Lystra. And it isn't clear here if they intentionally follow Paul to make sure that they would just get him out of there or chase him down or get rid of him. And I, I mean, let's try to think of this in our, our uh, if we had had the, um, an evangelistic team here and, and then some, this group of people from, I don't know, Dallas, followed, followed the evangelistic team all the way down here and were causing, it would be like, what? Why, 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 why would you take all this time and effort? But it seemed that the, the Jews were doing this. Perhaps they were on business, but they, but they came down, followed, um, and found Paul here. Uh, it says, And the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So again, in this, the city of Lystra, Paul heals a man uh, who was lame. The people react and, and, and shout like, that, that Paul and Barnabas are gods and they need to be worshipped, and, and Paul is able to convince, finally convince them otherwise. Uh, and then... And it's such a quick change of heart that people turned against Paul and Barnabas. In, in a way that's very similar to the way that, that people turned against Christ on the, as, uh, after calling him the, the Messiah and the, and as he was coming into Jerusalem just days before they crucified him. Belie- unbelievers can turn very, very quickly. And then we see this happening here. These fickle crowds turned on the very ones that they had been worshiping. Um, and it said that they stoned Paul. And if, if you've, when you've read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes some of his trials in ministry. Uh, and so this is a time, he's reflecting back upon this. 2 Corinthians 11, he says, In labors more abundant, he's describing his life, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Right here, this is what he's talking about. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, and journeys often, and perils of water. So again, as we're, as we're talking through these different um, uh, perils here, he says, in perils in the wa- waters, in the wilderness, in the sea, among uh, false brethren. And he talks about um, uh, difficulties of, of um, he says, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, hunger and thirst and fastings and, and cold and nakedness. Um, a lot of this, I think, comes from this very passage here when Paul comes up uh, on this mission trip uh, when they first lie, uh, arrive in uh, Perga down at the coastline and John Mark uh, abandons them. And as Pastor V spoke a couple weeks ago, mentioned that they likely had, might have suffered with malaria. It's a very low, marshy area down there and then immediately had to uh, climb up through the mountainous areas to, to, to reach Antioch up here. Uh, and it would been a very difficult time. So Paul might specifically be talking about some of these perils in the, in the wilderness, in the sea, or on, uh, in, the, in the waters. In other words, some of these 
rivers they had to cross and follow, and some of the, the natural landscapes would have been very difficult for them. Um, but specifically, he refers back to here uh, when, when he was stoned, and it said that they, they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Uh, so we don't think that Paul actually died here, um, but, but he was unconscious, unconscious and for some reason appeared to be dead. Um, verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him. So you picture this group of disciples that, that likely have been people, men and women, that had gotten saved as he was preaching there in Lystra. They gathered around him, and, they, and it's not clear what, whether they were trying to protect Paul or they're getting ready to bury him. Um, but it was obviously a time of extreme sadness for them. And you know, who could have been there uh, would, uh, would have been Timothy and his, and his um, mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice could have been there as well because uh, they're from the city of Lystra. Paul comes back in the second missionary journey and uh, finds Timothy as a faithful young man who desires ministry and takes him with him as a, and disciples him. So likely here, that some of these disciples that gather around Paul could have included Timothy and his uh, mother and grandmother. So it says, when the disciples gathered around him, he arose. Paul got up and went into the city. And the next, so he go, he's, he's dragged out of Lystra to the outskirts of the town. And then God gives him the, the strength and the perseverance to get back up again. After being left for dead, he goes back into the city. The last place I would have wanted to go is back into that city. Um, uh, and then it says, the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So... You see the distance between Lystra and Derby, um, some uh, maybe 50, 60, 70 miles away. Um, and yeah, he has to travel this after being beaten to the point or, or stoned to the point where he, uh, he was left for dead in a very uh, difficult time. So we see that Paul persevered in giving out the gospel. He didn't take time. It didn't seem like he took much time to, to recover, but got right back up and was, was on the path again. Uh, to, to deliver the gospel to the next city. So again, as you see this path, um, it's getting further and further away from um, the more civilized areas of the, of the West um, and heading to these smaller uh, provincial towns that, uh, that had never received the gospel and that, and that really that weren't influenced the same way with the Greco-Roman cultures. Uh, all right, so we saw, we saw how... how Paul uh, shared the gospel with these cities. We're going to look at now how growth happened. Verse 21, And when he preached the gospel to that city, in other words, to Derby, he made many disciples, and they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And so in one verse here, um, accompanies at least several weeks, maybe, um, maybe several months here, when it says when he preached the gospel in Derby, way down here to the east, um, many people get saved, many disciples um, uh, are, are, are made and are following Paul and learning and, and learning from his teaching. And then he returns back to Lystra and Iconium and to, and to Antioch. So what is he doing here? As Paul travels back, he's, he's going back from Derby up through the places he has just been. He is helping his, uh, these people have just gotten saved, these disciples, these new converts, strengthening them, helping them to grow so he can leave behind the beginnings of a new church. And we said earlier that, that Paul and the, the gifting that he had, the spiritual gifting was part of it was leadership and being able to uh, ascertain faithful men uh, who can pastor, faithful women who would be continue to serve in the church and to 
um, help these, uh, the, this new body of believers not be left uh, without any hope of, of, of growth. Um, so he makes many disciples, returns to Lystrum, to Lystra, to Iconium, Antioch, um, Pisidia, Antioch, in the, in the far west. Um, and he, it says that he strengthened the souls of these disciples. Uh, so um, as he, as he uh, helps them with their growth, uh, he, he, shows, he shows care for them. It shows that he, he, he strengthened them. Um, verse 22, strengthened the souls of the disciples, ex- exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, uh, we must through many tribulations enter the, tribu- the kingdom of God. So as Paul is, is, t- is talking to his, these new believers, he's telling them, when you, when you um, place your faith in Christ, when you become a believer in the, in the true God, it's not going to mean that there will be a suddenly an absence of difficulties. And Paul, he would have certainly borne the marks of, of, the, of the stoning he had just uh, happened to him in the recent past and be able to point out, yeah, life is difficult as a believer. He tells Timothy, all who desire to live in Christ shall suffer persecution. Uh, so he, he strengthens in their faith, shows care for them, uh, nurtures them in the, to maturity. Uh, in these new disciples, and so part of part of care, part of discipleship, and helping people after they receive the gospel is to help them grow. And Paul was very concerned about this, and this is one of the first in, the, in this in this missionary journey, the first time that we see that um, he uh, took this time to strengthen, encourage, and organize these believers into a, a body, a church, the church body that would be able to. Uh, stand on their own without Paul when he left and traveled on. Uh, the very, um, so it says, verse 23, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in other words, Paul here is saying, it is, it is ultimately the Lord who is our shepherd. And the people that he appointed as, as the, the overseers, the, the pastor, he would say, you're the under-shepherds. You are, we are all under the Lord, under Christ, who is, the, is, is our head. Um, this is the person that you have believed. And verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came through Pamphylia. Um, so let me see if this reads me. Uh, they showed, uh, showed commitment, um, and they also showed communication. So as you see... Um, uh, it doesn't show the whole um, the whole map there, but they go back up to Antioch and then back down to the coastline. Um, and on their way in the coastline, they're heading back to get passage back to the home church of Antioch, uh, and they're sharing the gospel as they uh, as they um, pass through Perga. Now, verse, in verse twenty-five, now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. So Perga and Italia are two cities right next to each other. And apparently when Paul and Barnabas first landed there and were that area where John Mark um, abandoned them, uh, they hadn't had the opportunity to share the gospel. And that's perhaps that's why they had, they had malaria or some other difficult circumstances prevented them at the time. But when they come back through, Paul takes the time long enough to share the gospel uh, in, in this area here, showing that there is commitment to people around them, showing that there is commitment to sharing the gospel. And then wrapping up the passage here, the last few verses, from there they sailed to Antioch. This is not the Antioch at the top, but it's the Antioch down here off the coast of the Mediterranean, their home church. Um, from there they, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the, to the grace of God for the works for which they had com- been completed. 
Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So closing up this passage, we see that they're part of discipleship, part of seeing people's growth is communicating what God has been doing. And perhaps you've been on a mission trip, you've come back and you, you communicate, you report, you give testimonies to the church, or, or other times we have testimony time to communicate what God is doing because we are giving ultimately glory to God and, and, and expressing our excitement that God is at work in the lives of people around us and saving people and showing that, that, that this is something that, this is, that all of us can be doing. We all have the excitement, the opportunity to share this gospel. And this is what Paul and Barnabas did when they came back. They communicated what God had been doing. They reported all that God had done with them. They didn't say that all that they had done, but all that God had done with them. So in other words, they gave the glory to God. And that, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So again, Paul and Barnabas, after this first missionary journey, returned to Antioch and um, spent there a long time with the disciples in this church there, uh, likely training and, and helping people to grow in, in, the, in their home church as well. Uh, so finishing up this chapter um, where we see Paul uh, traveling through some difficult areas of Asia Minor, pre um, presenting the gospel, we, we see that, that Paul and Barnabas were spirit-filled and they were bold. And they served others to give them opportunities to share the gospel. And they were persevering even when the going got tough. And as Paul uh, shared the gospel, uh, he and Barnabas were not just content to see people saved, but they wanted to see them growing. He cared about them. He was committed and he communicated um, uh, to these people and communicated back with his home church the things that God had been doing. And, and then this, in this chapter here, we see the, the, this missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas finish uh, after walking about 400 miles just in chapter 14 and then sailing another 400 miles or so. Um, how much that God had done uh, uh, as, as a result of them and encouraging other people to do the same. I find this passage very encouraging uh, in, in, in a way that, that we all have opportunities. We all have, um, we're, we're gifted by the, the Spirit to, uh, to serve and to work together as a church body and to be able to share the gospel and to persevere and be bold in the places God has given us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, your chapter here, this passage here, and um, we see the faithfulness of Paul and Barnabas as they served you, as they gave the glory uh, for what happened to you. And I pray that we would find um, exhortation in this to, um, to put to use the gifts that you have given us and to be bold about our faith and to be serving and caring and and persevere during difficult times um, to be able to see others come to the saving knowledge of you. I pray that you would um, help us to uh, put these principles into practice, help us to live lives that display your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.